Today's reading is Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I will trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Aparaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also. Least I should have sorrow upon sorrow, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as the kids are going out, you'd like to get a Bible out there under the seats right in front of you if you don't have one. And uh, if you want to, because I'm going to jump to a verse before our passage, just turn to page 266, so 2 Samuel chapter 14. Um, you know, one of the things I love about the Bible is uh, you get a lot of great verses in there that anchor our identity. It's the source of who am I and How's God made me and uh, who am I meant to be? And uh, there's lots of verses about that. And there's one verse which is a little more obscure, but has been foundational for me in identity. I wanted to share with you. So get, turn your Bibles Second Samuel uh, chapter 14, verse 25. I'm going to read it to us now. 2 Samuel 14, 25, page 266. Now in all Israel... There was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. I just thought that was important to share with you today. I feel like it's a word we should meditate on for the next 20 minutes or so. And just, uh... Okay, you're not with me on that. All right, we'll move on. I thought it was a good verse, anyway. Okay, uh... Let me ask you a more serious question. What do you think of being with a band of friends who have, a, who have a commitment to live a lifestyle of adventure together? That you're going to be a group who know each other well, with depth, with, with community, but you're committed to serving Jesus in a way that's adventurous, that extends his kingdom, that makes a real difference wherever you go. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's what I thought I was signing up for when I became a follower of Jesus. That's what I want to be about. 
Uh, I've got a good friend of mine called Mike Jarrell, who is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He planted a church up there a few years ago, and it's built around uh, bands of little communities like this, little uh, groups who meet in homes, and they meet in coffee shops, and bowling alleys, and bars, and parks, and they're forming these households, these extended families uh, of communities that share a common mission, and they're reaching all sorts of people. And uh, Mike was telling me about a guy who's come to faith who uh, came out of a background of extreme addiction to pornography. And uh, they, uh, he, his journey of coming to faith was experienced very powerful deliverance, and, and God's really set him free from that, which is a wonderful testimony. Uh, but this guy, was, uh, he felt God was calling him to help other men in a similar situation. And, um, and so he gathered a, a few of his friends in the church and said, hey, would you help me uh, minister and reach these, the other men we know out in the community who don't know Jesus, perhaps, who, who have got problems with pornography? Okay, so here's the question I want to ask you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just answer this question real quick. Five seconds. How vulnerable and how public would you be willing to be uh, with sharing your story in order to help other people resolve an issue like that? If that was your issue. Just real quick. How, how public would you be willing to be in sharing your story about that? Give them a blink answer. So here's what happened. See, this matches what you uh, said. So this guy, his plan was, with his team, they decided to blast Facebook with adverts uh, targeting men in this situation, and he put his story up there on Facebook. He put his name on Facebook. He put his photo on Facebook, and he put his phone number up on Facebook which is pretty out there, I think. And he got scores and scores of men reaching out to him over the months that followed, reaching out to that team. And they ended up having these amazing groups, lots of ministry going on, people being delivered, people coming to faith in Christ. And they started then hitting these more endemic barriers. They started to recognize structural issues that were causing some of the problems. They're now lobbying the state of Pennsylvania and asking the governor to declare pornography a health crisis. And if he officially declares that, then there's all sorts of resources that open up to that. And for me, that's a wonderful picture of someone living a life of adventure following Jesus. That might not be your thing, but all of us have a thing which we can do where we can live that life of adventure to follow Jesus. And that's what we see here in this story, uh, which we heard read to us just now by Jackie. So in Philippians, have it open in front of you, Philippians chapter 2, we end of chapter 2, page 981, if you're using the church Bibles under your seats. Uh, what I want to do is just give, uh, spend a few minutes giving some comments on the text, because uh, there's a few little nuggets in here which might not be immediately apparent. And then what I want to do is uh, draw out uh, this bigger principle and help us think through how we apply it to our lives. Uh, so as, as you're just getting turned to that page or turning on your phone looking at it, um, chapter 2 of Philippians, we heard, we've heard it preached. Jerry in particular had the, the pivotal passage a few weeks ago, uh, the first bit of Philippians chapter 2. And what we see there is uh, Paul writes how Jesus is the one who takes the form of a servant. And uh, as he does that, he goes with the gospel in obedience to the Father. Uh, in all, he does it at great cost to himself, but that provides an amazing example for us. And what Paul shows us here is an example of two other uh, people, so Timothy and Epaphroditus, who uh, are servant-hearted, they go with the gospel, they do an obedience to the Father at great cost to themselves, and Paul's lifting them up to us as examples that we can follow. So let's just, uh, I was going to go through verse by verse real quick and just pull out a few things for us here, and then we'll, we'll do some uh, color commentary around that as well. So verse 19, 
Uh, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you. Essentially, uh, he starts, in the Lord Jesus. You know, everything we do has to be done in light of our relationship with Jesus, including, in this case, our plans for our future. So we, we focus around Jesus in doing this stuff. He says he wants to be cheered uh, by news of, of the church at Philippi. Really, the word there technically means to be of good courage. And I don't, I don't know if you realize this, but you can put courage into other people. There's a word for that. It is, okay, it's not a trick question, encourage. All right, that's what it means. Come on, wake up. All right, let's keep with me. So we can encourage. Well, that literally means to put courage into people. When you put courage into people, that's not saying sweet, sappy sayings that you've stolen off a Hallmark card. What it means is you're speaking truth into them. You're speaking boldness. You're speaking passion. You're speaking faith. You're speaking energy. You're calling out the good things that you see in them. Things you see by sight and things you see by faith. Things that might still be seeds in that person, but you can see that with watering, with fertilizing, that seed has the potential to grow into something that's going to be extraordinary for the glory of Jesus. That's what it means to encourage people. Verse 20, he says, for I have no one like him. Literally, the word there is equal in soul. Or you might say, the way we might say it is you might say, I've got a good friend and it's like we have, we've got, we're similar in spirit. We've got common spirits. We, we kind of run with each other. We track with each other. And you know, if you have someone like that in life, if you have close friends like that, how sweet that is when you have someone who's got a similar spirit to you and you just click and you connect on the key things of, of life and of following Jesus. And he says, uh, he, he goes on that verse, he says, um, I've no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And he's saying that uh, Timothy has this real tenderness about him. He's, he, he, he's uh, bothered by how they're feeling and how they're behaving and, and how they're going on in life. Then in verse 22, uh, sorry, they all seek, sorry, verse 21, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying, he's contrasting Timothy with how many people operate. And what he's saying, Timothy is a real concern for who you are, but many other people don't. And um, what we can take from that is that one of the things about Jesus is that Jesus is concerned about your relationships. He's bothered about your relationships and my relationships. Not in a judgy way, but actually he really wants you to have great friendships and great relationships. It's not something where he's too high and mighty to be bothered about our little friendships. No, no, no. He's really interested in them. And because he's designed us to be communal people. He's designed us to have great friendships and great relationships. He wants to help us live life well. And part of that is through being in great community with others. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth... How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Uh, when he says he's of proven worth, that word there, that, that sense of proven, uh, implies someone who's gone through testing. They've gone through fire. They've gone through um, uh, stretching and molding. They've, been pr- they've, they've demonstrated that their character is a noble one. And, um, you know, sometimes we do go through these, these tough, challenging times in life. And we sometimes wonder, well, what's God doing there? Well, part of what he does in those times is he's stretching our character. He's molding our character so that we have a maturity about us that other people can rely on, they can lean on in the future. And then he talks about how Timothy is like a son with a father. Literally, uh, the, the Greek is a child with his father. I don't know why they've just put male there, but it, it, so it's as women as well as men. And what he's telling us is that a discipling relationship is a two-way relationship. 
Uh, and uh, part of what we do, we can receive from those who disciple us and pour into us, and we all have people in our lives who, who do that or have done that. But also what we do in response is we, we bring honour back to those who disciple us. Part of following Jesus, part of being a good disciple, is we honour and we recognise those who poured into us. And so it's, there's an attitude, there's a mindset which we should bring in recognising and honouring and celebrating uh, that as well. Verse 23, 24. Uh, I hope, therefore, to send Timothy, or send him, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So what Paul's saying is, I want to come to visit you in Philippi, but currently I'm in prison, and I, I, I seem to... I'm praying and I'm going to see how it goes. And if I, if I can escape this custody, I, I, I'm definitely going to come visit you. And there's an interesting thing about Paul uh, that we see throughout the book of Philippians and indeed in many other places, which is this. Uh, let me put it as a question. What do you do when things don't go well for you? What do you do when that plan you had is stymied and is halted? And it was a great plan and it was, felt like a Jesus plan. Uh, it wasn't a selfish plan, but it's, it's, for whatever reason, it's halted and it crashes into the barriers. What about the thing that comes against you? In this case, it's imprisonment, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's financial problems, maybe it's, it's relational things. And it's stopped what you thought you were meant to be going down, the path where you felt, this just feels so right. And suddenly, the barriers come up and you can't get past it. How are you going to respond? And what Paul shows us is that he chooses not to get frustrated and discouraged and and into a big pity party. He's in prison. And yet what's interesting is that in the place of captivity, in this place of what could be frustration, Paul is writing some of his best stuff, and he is leading people to faith in Christ. We know that from other passages in the Bible. He is building the church in Rome. At the end of Philippians, he sends greetings to the Philippian church from the church in Rome. Don't forget, Paul's a prisoner but he says, actually, technically, he says, there's a church that's meeting in Caesar's household, probably a bunch of slaves in Caesar's palace who, who've been led to faith by Paul and other Christians, and, and they're forming this church under the very noses of the people who are persecuting the Christians. It's an amazing reality that's going on there. And, and, and so Paul is able to turn what looked like a really negative, dark, soul-crushing moment of being held in, in unjust captivity into one where he was incredibly fruitful for Jesus, and I think the principle for us is that we need to learn somehow to see our circumstances as an opportunity for ministry. It's like Paul is, Paul's mindset is, wherever I land, I'm going to serve. Wherever I land, I'm going to make a difference. And uh, I think that's something which we can capture and learn from as well. Uh, moving on, verse 25, we go to Epaphroditus, is the, the other character here. I thought it necessary, listen to the words he uses to describe him. He, he describes him as, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my needs. So he, Paul says he's a brother. In other words, he's a son of the heavenly father like him. He's a worker. He's a companion as they do the work of the kingdom. I find it fascinating. According to the book of Acts, Paul's least effective missions trip was when he went solo to Athens. Isn't that interesting? The one time he does it by himself, he breaks what Jesus tells us to do, uh, he's least effective. You see, when, when we follow Jesus, uh, we're meant to uh, understand that one of the best gospel witnesses is a Jesus-centered community. 
So if we can form bands of brothers and sisters together and we can live out what it means to follow the, be an adventurer following Jesus in our neighborhoods and networks of relationships, that's an incredible witness. It's an incredible sign to other people. Paul describes them as a soldier, a comrade in arms. And again, this language of battle resonates throughout Paul's teaching. It's, we should not be surprised when it is hard to follow Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised because we're warned about it repeatedly in the New Testament. And then we're equipped to know how to deal with that in the battle situations. He describes them as a messenger or an envoy or a sent one. And um, uh, the thing that strikes me about this, Paul, again, is, is a recurring echo in Paul's writings that we're messengers. It seems to me that too many Christians... Uh, think the story of the good news is just to be kept to themselves. Whereas actually, it's a message we're meant to share freely and widely in anywhere. Like seed, we toss it out wildly and generously and abundantly. We should be willing to share about our faith wherever we go. We should be willing to live in such a way that people are asking questions about us instead of keeping it kind of a, a closely guarded secret in our lives. So let's make sure we're, we're, we're not doing that. We're not guarding it. And then finally, he's a minister. He, he's serving Paul in prison. Uh, just real quick wrap up here. Then I want to get to some, um, uh, some broad applications. Verse 26, 27, uh, he says that Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but all, on me also, lest I should have to sorrow, have sorrow upon sorrow. So, I find that fascinating that in Paul's description of Epaphroditus, he's describing to us his feelings, how Epaphroditus has deep longings and deep desires to be with the church in Philippi. I think sometimes when we think about Christian, the Christian life, we describe it in purely rational and theological and cognitive terms. But actually, we're meant to be people of heart, we're meant to be people of passion, we're meant to be people who feel things deeply. And we're meant to have great longings and desires and, 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 and to live them out in community. So you don't be afraid of those. And those of you more feelings-oriented, you need to help those of us who are a bit more logical and, and, and you know, thinking-oriented. We need both those elements fully at work in the life of the church family to be healthy. Uh, verse 28 He says, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So Paul's sending him that they may be a rejoicing people and be people overflowing with joy, which should be one of our characteristics. And then verse uh, 29, 30, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. Sorry, I'll say it again. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul is saying, honour men and women who live like this. Prize them, value them. They are examples. They are, they are models for us to copy from and to learn. So let me try and give you some application from that. Uh, what we see in Paul's descriptions of Timothy and Epaphroditus are three things that are flowing through how they operate. First of all, Paul, in fact, Paul's whole band of companions, there's all sorts of other characters that appear in Acts and pop up in his letters, but this whole group that hang out with Paul at different points, we see three things. First of all, we see incredible community. They really know how to knit and bond to one another. Secondly, they are on tremendous adventure. It's a real adventure following Jesus when you're with Paul. And thirdly, they are deeply devoted to lifting high the name of Jesus. They are passionately in love with Jesus Christ and they want to help as many people as possible fall in love with Jesus 
uh, as well. So there's three things that, that come together like that. And I believe those three elements should be uh, shaping for us in how we do church. And hopefully you'll all go, yeah, of course, we want to be like that. So, so let's just think about that for, for a moment. Uh, uh, you see these elements uh, in many places in the Bible. So, for instance, if you take three quick stories from the Old Testament, you've got it in the story of Abraham. And Abraham, uh, with his household, which would have been 70, 80 people, they leave the city of Ur, U-R, is how it's spelled, city of Ur, which archaeologists tell us, uh, don't forget, it's a super hot place in the Middle East, like living in Palm Springs or something, and it's the first place in history that we know they had air conditioning. And they had a form of basic air conditioning. They would funnel cold air under the floors of the houses. So that's kind of ultimate luxury. And Abraham is willing to leave a place like that and leave his ancestral family and go out in faith, following where God's called him to, following God into the adventure that God has for him. And he does so without knowing where he's going to end up or what it's going to be with no guarantees, certainly no air-conditioned homes ahead of him. And that's why Abraham is known as the father of faith. So that's a great example of living like that. Another example, um, let's think of a woman. So Ruth would be a fabulous example of that uh, in the Old Testament. So Ruth is someone who's from the people of Moab. So they are the enemies of God's people. And she uh, follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she comes back to Israel. She commits to following God, to following the true God and worshipping him. And she comes back, even it's going to be this place of incredible hostility to her. She's part of the enemy people, and she doesn't know what her future is. They've got little security. They've got no money. And yet she chooses to follow God on that great adventure. And what's interesting about uh, uh, Ruth is that she ends up uh, in the ancestral genealogical tree of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah, whom the people of God work for. So it's almost like this little Easter egg that God puts into the genealogy of Jesus, where um, the, pe- the people of Israel thought it was just for them, this Messiah. But actually, in his ancestral tree, we have this picture that actually the Messiah, Jesus, is coming for the whole planet. And he wants to reach everyone, not just those who are already in the kingdom of God. And then the third example would be Daniel. So you have Daniel, who's part of the people of God in exile in Babylon, and uh, they're in captivity, and yet Daniel is the one who literally has to go into the lion's den of, in order to f- be on this adventure of being faithful to God and following God, whatever happens, and trusting him for the outcome. So there's loads of these examples in the Bible that we're meant to be living like this. We're meant to be parts of bands of believers, because all those people were part of groups, and we're meant to be honoring God above all else, and we follow God in this great adventure. And um, I, I, I would argue that the way to the very best sort of community is that we choose to be a group of people who are knitted together around a common mission, around a common focus, a common direction, that we're saying we're on this joint adventure together, where we put ourselves in situations where we are absolutely desperate for God to come through. It's it's community sharing a common uh, purpose to it. And we see this lived out in our lives. So you see it, for instance, this principle every time we play sports, It's a team that shares a common goal together. You see if you've ever been part of a band or part of, uh, you've been in a play. Uh, You see the same principle in almost every movie that has a hero character in it. 
Because what happens in those, those, those movies explore the idea of the hero has to join with others in this incredibly difficult task which they have to undertake. So they have to go and blow up the Death Star or drive the outlaws out of town or they have to go and rescue Nemo from his, from his little aquarium. And, and, and it's this great task they undertake. And you may laugh at Finding Nemo, but it's a very profound theological movie. Uh, I think it's a great picture of, of the church, actually, because too many Christians have ended up living their lives in a very safe and cosy and neat and tidy aquarium where the temperature is regulated, where you're fed on a, on a schedule, you swim around in this little place, but it's fairly dull and it's very boring. Not much happens, but we're kind of content there. And you know what? You were not designed to live in an aquarium. You were designed to live in the wilds of the ocean in the place where it's unpredictable, where it's scary, where, yes, there are predators, where things go wrong, but where there's an amazing adventure to live as well, where you could do incredible things for Jesus Christ. You are designed to be out in the wilds, representing Jesus on this incredible, crazy, scary, hairy adventure of following him. And that's what Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus have been about. That's what they've discovered But the problem is this. One of the reasons we don't do this is because we have too small a view of who God is. Our God is too small for much of the time. We have a Jesus whom we've sanitized and we've made predictable and polite and well-mannered and non-threatening. And I'm not saying Jesus is rude, but at the same time, that's a false picture of who Jesus is. In the language of Narnia, it's like we've taken Aslan and declawed him. In fact, C.S. Lewis writes this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's the God we worship. He's not a safe, predictable, button-down sort of God. He's a crazy God in this incredible adventure of transforming his universe and rescuing and redeeming and setting the captives free. And that's who we're called to follow. And that's how we're called to live our lives with bands of brothers and sisters together, making a difference, living like that. So let's, let's be grateful for the people like Timothy and Epaphroditus who stretch us in these things. Uh, I'm grateful for the people who've stretched my family, say stretch my boys. And they've come alongside and they've called them to do challenging things. So I think of uh, our friend Graham and how he took Joel, our eldest, onto one of the local college campuses and said, let's do the compliment chair. Do you know what the compliment chair is? This is cool. So they get a chair, they go into a real busy place on the campus, and they sit it there, and they're going, who'd like a compliment? Free compliments. Who wants to be complimented, you know? And they'll, they'll kind of rustle up some people, get someone sitting there, and they'll just start complimenting. Oh, I love your jacket. That looks fabulous. It's really great color. So it's just saying stuff in the natural at first. But then what will happen is they'll start to kind of slip into a sense of what God would say about this person. And they're not saying this is prophecy, but they actually start prophesying over people and speaking words of faith and words of life and words of hope over people. And, it's, and the stories, they say, you just watch people 
and they're gobsmacked by what's being said over them. It's gone from being a kind of fun little jolly moment to a real profound sacred moment. Tears are welling up in their eyes. People are sitting there, you know, slack-jawed as they hear these words of, of faith and of, and of identity and of destiny spoken over them. I love the fact that my children are being stretched into moments like that because that's an adventure. That's an adventure of following Jesus. And I want to say to us, let's, let's be the sort of people who are willing to take those sorts of experiments. And you know what? Sometimes it will go wrong. Sometimes it will go wrong, okay? So you're going to have to live with that because that's, that's part of the deal. But nevertheless, let's, let's try and try do some stuff. But here's the thing, by the way. When you try an adventure and it goes wrong, that's still a success. I'll just say that again. When you try an adventure of faith and it goes wrong, it's still a success because you're being obedient to Jesus and you're following me into the mission field. And we'll learn the lessons and all the rest of it. But that's a much better way to go. So here, I'll try to think of some examples. Here's some examples of things we might do just to get your brains going. What about if some of us took the compliment chair out onto First Friday at Bixby Knowles? How about if um, some of us... Uh, uh, and, and, of course, some of us are doing these things. You know, I, I, I see the life of an adventure lived in people who open their homes to the vulnerable and the needy. Many of you have done that. What about when you have that moment where you have a word of knowledge in a situation and you just share it and you take the risk to see what God's going to do? Uh, so let's do that now. Uh, I felt earlier the Lord was speaking to me about people who've got addiction and um, how he just wants to bring some life and some freedom. So I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand. But I'm going to take a moment now just for five seconds just to be quiet, if you're in a situation where you have some sort of addiction in your life, could be a tiny thing, could be a huge thing, I'm just going to ask God to come and release his power on you. So Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your presence. And for those of you in that situation, I speak release in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, the one who sets you free. And we speak an end to that bondage and an end to that addiction in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm going to move on. Cool, that's an example of taking a risk, all right? Uh, here's some things. What about if some of you, if you're in a group of friends in this church, what about if you choose to get together and say, hey, how can we plan in 2018 for us to really impact our, our wider group of friends who are not churched, our, our neighborhood, our network, and we can see them come to faith in Jesus? What do we need to do to do that? Not just we're nice and known as nice people who happen to be Christians, but actually we see salvations. Like, let's be serious about this. We see men and women and boys and girls come to everlasting faith in Jesus Christ. What would that look like? What about if in your step of faith of adventure, you committed with some people to, like, how many people do we want to see we're going to pray for by name to come to faith in Jesus over the next year? That would be an adventure step. What about if um, those of you who are parents in the morning when your kids are going out to school and you bend down and you straighten up their skew with clothing and you, you, know, you, you wet down the cowlick that appears every night as they sleep and all the rest of it. But as they're ready to go out the door, you line them up, you look them in the eye and you say to them, don't forget, you're a missionary for Jesus in that school. That's why you're there. And you give them a big kiss and a hug and send them out on their day. Commission your kids to be missionaries. What about if you've got teenage children, Absalom children, this is going to apply to you, and as a parent you say, or grandparent, you say to the teenagers, hey, between now and Christmas, I'm giving you 50 bucks, and you can spend it any way you like that's going to extend God's kingdom. It's up to you. 
you get 50 bucks to spend to extend God's kingdom. And maybe, so if you want some examples of that, maybe it's like, hey, you're going to invest, you're going to buy a lovely gift for a teacher who's really impacted and you've got a connection with. Maybe there's a kid at school who's going to have a really rough Christmas and you can find a way to bless them. Maybe you encounter someone who's vulnerable and at need and you could do a thing like that. Whatever it's going to be, how can you do that? That would be an example of, of inviting uh, your children into that adventure as well. Um, what about if you um, know some people who are not yet believers but like to think about uh, stuff and you buy, say, three copies of a great book on apologetics and following Jesus and you give them out to different people just as a, just as a Christmas gift? There's lots of things that we can do. There's so many ways we can be an adventure of following Jesus. And, and those are some fun examples to get you thinking about this. And, and, and I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are sitting there thinking, as you listen to me and you're going, well, that will never work. That will never work. I mean, you know, it, it's all very well you're saying that, but no one's going to want to sit in that stupid compliment chair. That's just a dumb idea. And um, the teacher won't want the gift. And uh, the person, you know, if I, if I ever offer to praise someone, they're just going to laugh in my face. That's what you're thinking. And um, here's the thing. Uh, when we think like that, what we're saying is, we're saying, God, I want a guarantee. And I can tell you what the answer is. I can give you the guarantee. The guarantee is, some of this is not going to work. That's the guarantee I can give you. Some of this is not going to work. There's going to be times where you fall flat on your face. If you want an absolute guarantee of, of, of always being safe and predictable, Jesus is the wrong person. If you want to really live a life following him. I don't mean in eternal terms. I don't mean in terms of spiritual, but in terms of how we're living our lives. If we're going to be faithful and follow him. It's not always going to be safe and cozy. But I want to say this as well. There's so many upsides to this. There are so many upsides. I look around this room and I can see faces and I can see stories. And as I know, there's many of you believe this as well. And, and here's what it comes down to for me. Either we believe what Jesus says is true or we don't. And what Jesus says is that he is the one who's come to set us free, not just from our sins and our mistakes and our errors, but he set us free for something. He set us free for to be men and women and boys and girls who go and make a difference, who live like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are absolutely on fire, in love with Jesus Christ, who are willing to do anything and go anywhere and sell anything and be anything in order to represent Jesus and to make a difference and to transform our neighbourhoods and our communities and our extended families and the lives around us and our workplaces. That's who Jesus has called us to be. That's what he says he's about. And either we believe that and we go all in with Jesus Jesus, or we say it's not true and I'm going to stop pretending. But stop sitting on the fence. Do not be the lukewarm water that Jesus has to spit out of his mouth. You don't get that option. The Bible never gives you that option. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be all in with him. Now, of course, your all-in is going to look different to my all-in, which looks different to Lou's all-in, which looks different to Bess' all-in, and so on. We're, not, we're, we're all unique and diverse, and that's part of the beauty of his body. But, um, you know, let, let's be willing to step into this adventure. Disciples of Jesus cannot be made wrapped in cotton wool. And we, we're called to this amazing adventure of following Jesus. It is a risk. There will be errors we'll make mistakes. Not everything will work out how we wanted. Paul ended up being executed for his faith. But do we regard him as a failure or as a hero of the faith? Okay, the answer is, by the way, in case you're wondering, hero of the faith. (laughs) Some of you look blank for a moment. And I want to encourage you and say, whatever that looks like, and I know many of you are 
living lives of great adventure and great tenacity and great boldness. And I want to say, well done, keep persevering. For some of the others of us, I think maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to us, hey, let's, let's up our game now. I want to turn up the heat a bit on you. I want you to make a difference. Maybe it was in the past and you've drifted away. And the Lord's saying, hey, we've got a fresh start coming. Let, let's really go for it, whatever that's going to look like. And so um, with your permission, I would like to pray for that for all of us now. Would that be okay? Yes, it would. Awesome. Let's stand up and I'm going to pray. Mike and the band, if you'd like to come back up, that would be awesome because you want to lead us in a bit of worship as well. Um, and I'm going to pray over us in this area. Because we want to be people who are not stuck in the aquarium, but we're getting out to the ocean. Is that right? Okay, three people said yes. All right, that's good. So, um, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you called us to a life of amazing adventure, walking with you, running with you. We thank you for the example of Paul and uh, these other guys uh, who were around him, these men and women who were around him, uh, and we get to um, be challenged and shaped by them. And we want to follow in their footsteps. We want to be people who um, are willing to go anywhere and do anything for you and make a difference for you. So, Lord, uh, would, where we've settled for the aquarium living, would you please set us free? Would you come rescue us and lift us out and And we said, we want to be in the ocean, swimming the great currents that you have set in place. I feel like, um, as I'm just saying that, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to some of you, like, where are some of the currents that he's placed you, that he's calling you to swim in? Some great themes maybe in your life, or it could be relational, it could be... um, an area of activity, it could be a, a geographical thing. It'll be different for different people, but I think some of you is just going to remind you of the great current or currents that he's placed you in, where his spirit is at work and you get to partner with him in that place. And I think um, for some of us, it might even be a moment where um, we recognize that we've been perhaps too cautious and too bound by safety in, in a way that's fearful. It's not, a, it's not been a, a Jesus thing, but it's almost been out of a, a what if and it could go wrong. And So here's what I want to do, because while we've all got our eyes closed, if that's you, just like cup your hands in front of you and place into, those, into your cupped hands, in your mind's eye, the things that, that have held you back. Maybe it's um, fear. Maybe it's um, you're worried about the kids. Maybe it's um, money. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's what will people think of me. And just, just imagine that thing there. The thing that, if there's something that holds you back, that traps you in the aquarium. And then just imagine now that Jesus is coming and he's taking it off you. Just release it away from your hands. You can almost like tip your hands over or whatever represents that for you and you give that thing to Jesus because he's the one who can take care of it so Lord we we say please would you fill us afresh with your spirit would you stir our hearts would you ignite our vision would you build our passion 
whether it's areas we're fully aware of, whether it's a new thing. And may we be men and women and boys and girls who live lives of adventure that honour you and which extend your kingdom. Amen.